There's a four-letter word missing from our society today. Now, some of you, your mind went to a not-so-great place, but maybe as I was standing in the back, maybe you thought about L-O-V-E. Is there enough love in the world today? What about G-I-V-E, give? Maybe we should give. But I would submit to you this morning that the four-letter word that's missing from our society today is hope. You see, people have lost their hope in humanity, and they lost their hope in the church. Now, some of you this morning, you've come and you have hope. Maybe the majority of you. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you hopeful or hopeless today? Are you hopeful or hopeless? If you're hopeful, what are you doing with the hope that has been given to you? So today's message is, like most Sundays, hopefully, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of history, a little bit of preaching. And so as we begin our study, this is a four-week study of Advent, let's define what it means. Advent, first and foremost, is a longing for arrival of a notable person, an event, or a thing. It is a season leading up to something. And so during the next four weeks, this should be a time of reflection as we tune our hearts to the longing for the arrival of our Savior. Paul David Tripp, in his book, Come, Let Us Adore Him, it's, a, it's an Advent devotional, he notes this. He says, when we are familiar with things, we tend to quit examining them. Often when we're familiar with things, we quit noticing them. When we're familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. See, this morning, some of you, we're in the Family Life Center worshiping, and some people, their tradition and memory is being in the sanctuary. But sometimes when you have the familiarity, we forget to see things. We don't see, we see only what's in front of us and not what's beyond. So Paul David Tripp goes on to say that familiarity tends to rob us of wonder. And here's what's important about this. Look at what he says. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. This morning, my prayer for you this Christmas season is that the Lord would, the the Holy Spirit would awaken the wonder inside of you. The wonder of how wonderful He is. How he's working around us. How maybe you need to have that childlike wonder, that childlike faith. Because we have been jaded. As we talked about this morning, that there are many around us, there are many in our community, that they're hopeless. What's the next variant of COVID going to do? I can't find a job that pays enough. I can't find someone that truly loves me. I can't find someone to come alongside of me and help me where I'm at in my life, in my spiritual journey. So as we think this morning about Advent, there was another book that I picked up. It's called The Christmas Code. And listen to what it says about Advent. It says, Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church in these last days. As God's people wait for the return of Christ in glory to consummate in essence, to make complete his eternal kingdom.
kingdom. You see, the church is in a very similar situation to the nation of Israel at the end of the Old Testament. It's in exile, it's waiting, and it's hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming Messiah. You see, Israel looked back to God's past gracious actions on their behalf in leading them out of Egypt in Exodus. And on this basis, they called for God once again to act for them. It reminds me of the song that I've mentioned in previous sermons of Do It Again. You know, go home and go on YouTube and look, look up that song, Do It Again, that, that God will do it again. We have to lean back and we have to remember what he's done in the past, but we cannot live there. What is God doing in the present? Oswald Chambers says, Never live on your memories of past experience, but always allow the Word of God to be living and active in you. As we think about Advent, one of the things that I want to give you a, an actionable next step is just a few minutes ago, a post went live on Bethel's Facebook page. And on that post is a link to some Bible reading plans, some Christmas reading plans, some of them ranging from four or five days to a week to upwards of 28 days. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, when you get home this afternoon, go to Bethel's Facebook page, click on that link, it's through the Bible app, and there's tons of different stories. There's tons of different ones that you can pick from. And I would encourage you to spend this season of Advent, this season of longing and waiting for Christ's birth, for Christmas Day, that you would spend some part of the next few days, the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, getting into God's Word, reading one of these plans. You know, here's what you can do too. You can also invite your friends when you go to read that plan. It'll say read by yourself or invite other people. Maybe you invite other people to read one with you. But as we celebrate and focus our attention this first week of Advent, I want you to see that December, leading up to Christmas, is a season of hope. As as the Brewer and Thomas families lit the candle this morning, we kicked off a season of hope. And we're calling each other, I'm calling you to remember and to reflect on Christ's coming. To remember about the hope that we have. Because as I think about hope, I think about Hebrews 11.1, which says this, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance. It's the confirmation of things hoped for. That's divinely guaranteed. It's divinely promised. Hang on to that word, promise. And the evidence of things not seen, that's the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends, listen, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. We're to live by faith, not by sight. We're to live by faith, not by sight. Sure, is it easy when we can see where we're going and we see what's ahead? Sure. But we're to trust an all-knowing God into an unknown future. 
Do we know what 2022 is going to hold? No. Do we know what tomorrow is going to hold? No. Do we know what next week is going to hold? No. But do we know who holds our tomorrow? Yes. There's some of us in here who do, and maybe you've come this morning, and maybe you've lost that hope. Maybe you're living in a time in your life that you are hopeless. I've come to remind you that there is hope. A quick background, is, and I think this is interesting, especially I, I kind of love history as well, but I think it's important as we think about the Advent wreath and Advent candles. I just want to give you a little bit of background this first week as we're doing this. Just, it's, I found it fascinating. The Advent wreath first appeared in Germany in 1839. A Lutheran minister working at a mission for children. Isn't that interesting that, that something that was birthed out of the heart of trying to teach children is continuing to teach us? We're to have a childlike faith. Come unto me as the little children. Sometimes I think for some of us you lost your hope because you have forgotten the wonder of God. You've forgotten to come to Him in a childlike faith that He is your Father and that He knows best. And so this mission for children, he created a wreath out of a wheel of a cart, and he placed 20 small red candles and four white candles inside of the ring. And the red candles were lit on the weekdays, and the four white candles were lit on Sundays. Eventually, the Advent wreath was created out of evergreens, symbolizing the everlasting life in the midst of winter and death. I think it's important, just like our wedding bands, for those of us who are married, the circle of the wreath reminds us of God's unending love and eternal life He makes possible. A new candle is lit each Sunday of the four Sundays before Christmas. We're actually a week behind. That's okay. Extend grace. But each candle represents something different. Although traditions vary, as we study what each of these candles represents these months. The first and second and fourth candles are purple, and the third candle is rose-colored. And as you will see on our Advent wreath, there is a fifth white candle placed in the middle, which is a reminder as on Christmas Day, we'll celebrate this the day after Christmas, of celebrating Jesus' birth, that He is the light of the world. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn over to the book of Isaiah. So you're going to be in the Old Testament. You're going to find the book of Psalms, a rather large book that we, uh, you should know where that is after Psalm 23. Uh, maybe you still have something tucked there, but go uh, start turning past Psalms. So you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and then the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. As you're turning there this morning, I just want to simply remind you that Isaiah was a prophet, and he's writing to call the nation of Judah back to God and to tell of God's salvation through the Messiah. So let's look this morning at uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6. If you're willing, able, we haven't done this in a while, if you're willing, able, in honor of the reading of God's holy and precious word, if you will stand Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
As we think about this this morning, first and foremost, Isaiah declares right here, he says, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He is both declaring the humanity, a child is born, and the deity of Christ, a son is given. Now, I want to take just a few minutes, and I want us to look at the names of which Isaiah tells us that the Lord will be called, that his name shall be called Wonderful. What does it mean for his name to be wonderful? That it's exceptional. That it's distinguished. His name is wonderful. And so there's nothing dull about his name. There's nothing dull about his reign. A counselor. He'll be called counselor. He gives the right advice. Not the best, but the right advice. We don't need just the best advice, but we need what? We need the right advice. Advice. As a counselor, he has the wisdom to rule justly. His name shall be called Mighty God. He is man, but he is also God. As Mighty God, he has the power to execute his wise plans. And then we see, as Isaiah says, that he shall be called, uh, he shall be called Everlasting Father. Friends, he is timeless. He's timeless. Listen, everlasting father does not suggest that the son is also the father, for each person in the Godhead is distinct. So in essence, a better translation might be the father of eternity. He's the father of eternity. Among the Jews, the word father means originator or source. For example, Satan is the father. He is the originator of lies. John 8, 44. So if you want anything eternal, you must get it from Jesus Christ, for he is what? The father of eternity. Then Isaiah says that he shall be the prince of peace. He came that we may have peace. Is there peace in the world today? No. Come, Lord Jesus, amen? Like, if not now, then soon, because the world we live in, we need some peace, because we're, we're sinful, and, and we're dirty, and we are no good, and, and there is evil in the world. And because of that, there is a lack of peace. Isaiah says that his government, his rule, his reign is one of justice and peace. That reminds me of Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8, many of you may have memorized this. If, if you haven't, here's a great verse to begin to memorize this coming year. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Listen, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Our God is a God of justice. He is a God of peace. We're to be peacemakers. That's what He's called us to be. We've been given the gift of reconciliation. We've been given forgiveness. As I asked you as I started this morning, if you're hopeful this morning, what are you doing with the hope that you've been given? 
Because the gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. God, didn't, God saved you to be a conduit through whom his glorious, life-changing gospel would flow to other people. Are you allowing him to use you as a conduit? Are you allowing his love to flow through you? His forgiveness to flow through you? His kindness to flow through you? His mercy to flow through you? All of those things that we mentioned, we must first experience for ourselves. But we're called to share that. The world around us is hopeless And we have the answer, we have the good news, we have the gospel, and we don't share it, and we don't live it out, and we don't point people to it. We should be asking for forgiveness, but we should also be asking for boldness. We should be asking for clarity. We should be asking for wisdom to say, Lord, will you give me an opportunity this week to point somebody to you? And when you do, will you give me the words to say? Will you give me the scripture that I can point them to? This child, Jesus, was given names that signify his character. He's he's characterized by extraordinary wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor. And we will have life that is never-ending because he is the eternal father. And he will bring peace because he is the prince of peace. So so this morning we studied a little bit about Jesus and his names and who they are and, and what they mean. And we've said that his coming gave, or listen, that it it should give us hope. But how can we ensure that we truly grasp this hope that Jesus brings? Well, this first candle that we lit this morning is about hope. But it's also about a promise. For Isaiah, he prophesied 700 years before Christ's birth. And they had to put their hope in the promise of God. Do you see that? That hope and promise are linked. So I want to ask you this morning, what do we know about the promises of God? I want you to think back with me for a minute. What are some promises that God made? And to certain people. First off, to Noah, he said what? He gave him the promise that he would never again destroy the earth by water. Abraham, he promised that he would make him the father of many nations. Just think about Sarah and Abraham. They were, they were up in years, and, and as we talked about recently, what seemed impossible to them is not impossible to God. We have to trust the promise that he gives us. David, he told David that from him would come an everlasting king. We, we learned about that as we studied through Ruth and Boaz, Israel. What did he promise Israel? That he would bring them back to himself. What about the church, the collective church, not just Bethel Baptist Church, but the big C church, the global church, that he would build it that he would build it with his blood and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That's what he promised. Now what promises has God made to the believer? Let's, let's make it a little bit more personal. Let's, let's, 
kind of think about it in the here and now. For us today, for those of you that are believers in Christ Jesus, what promises can we live by? Because if we know the promises, then they should give us hope. What hope can we have in believing and following Jesus? I just want you to listen. Listen for just a minute of of some of these things that I wrote in my notes. Of the promises of what Jesus and the Father told us that we would have. He promises abundant life. A heavenly home. A new name. Comfort. Everlasting life. Fellowship, gifts of the Spirit, glory after death, guidance, growth. Listen, I heard a great quote recently about growth. It's not whether or not we need to grow, but how. It's not a question of whether we need to grow or to continue to grow collectively as Bethel Baptist Church, but also as us individually. Because why do you desire corporately? Johnny Hunt said this best. Johnny Hunt said, why do we desire corporately and collectively what we don't desire personally and privately? You see, we want to see God move. We want to see Him work in the lives. We want to, as many of you have told me and shared prayer requests with me about your loved ones and your families and you yourself, you, you need God to show up. You need that healing. You need that hope. You need that peace. You need that restoration. You just need that clarity in your life. And we want that, but we've got to seek it first. And, and worship begins where? It begins in our prayer closet. And so if we want to see a church of flame for Christ reaching its community, reaching this community, then it's going to take us individually seeking Him before we come together on Sunday. Are you preparing your hearts for when you come to church on Sunday? Is this all it is? Because I don't know about you, but for some of y'all, y'all going to run to the buffet when you get done here today. Is that going to sustain you for the rest of the week? No, it's not. You sit down at the buffet and you feast and you stuff your face silly and you enjoy those desserts and then you got to go check your diabetes because it's through the roof but you know you enjoyed it it was good but you can't live off of that one meal all week the same thing with church this morning you cannot sustain a life surrendered and submitted and worthy of christ by one hour each week it's going to take seeking him daily It's going to take seeking him moment by moment. As you drive down the road and you're ready to throw out some, we talked about four-letter words that were missing. Y'all can't use those words. You got to say, I wish you hope, right? You know, you got to be be nice. You got to reflect Christ. But listen, growth, he promises growth. He promises hope, joy, knowledge, freedom. He he, he promises peace. Listen, some of y'all need this. He promises rest. Some of y'all don't rest very well, me me included. We have to rest. We're not meant to go, 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 go all the time. You can't sustain that. We were meant to rest. And so I encourage you, maybe you just need to begin praying that through and asking the Lord, Lord, how do I rest better? That I can be the best husband, and father, employee, team member, pastor, friend, whatever. 
He promises healing. He promises strength. He promises wisdom. And he promises victory. Read the end of the book. There's victory. There's victory in Jesus. And so we walk around living these defeated lives. And we need to remember that in the end, Christ wins. And so we're going to put those promises on the screen behind me. And And just for the next few minutes... I don't know. Which one stuck out to you? Write it down on the back of your bulletin. Write it down if you're taking notes. Put a note in your phone. And maybe you just begin to say, okay, God, how do I rest better? How do I uh, live the abundant life? And you know what? How about you text somebody that you know that is a fellow believer? And how about you say, hey, our, our pastor, he talked about living the abundant life, that we're promised abundant life. What does that mean? Text somebody that you know and ask them that question. Have that conversation. Text me. Text Austin. Also, speaking of that, on your table today, there's a Connect card. You know, use that Connect. That's a perfect opportunity to do that. Write your name on the front and on the back. If there's something that we need to have a conversation about or I can pray, we can pray uh, how the Lord needs to work in your life, do that. It would be an honor and a privilege to pray for you. So I asked you first thing this morning, are you hopeful or hopeless? And so I think you need to take a moment and you need to assess your life, where you currently are and what all you have going on. And you need to ask yourself, am I hopeful or am I feeling hopeless? Am I hopeful or am I feeling hopeless? Friends, I've come to tell you this morning that the scriptures that we've read and what we've discussed about the names of Jesus and the promises of God that you can have hope. Hope came down at Christmas time, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came down so that hope may go out. It's not just for hope to reside in here, it's that hope may go out. This is not your mission field, that is. You, you come here to be spurred on, to be loved, to be encouraged, and then go. Go and be light. Go and be the hope that the world needs. Go and extend grace to somebody. Go and walk alongside of someone else that everyone else is walking away from. Because if I don't know about you, but that's when you find out who your truest friends are. When you mess up or you say something in the wrong way and everybody else exits stage right, but it's the one who comes and walks alongside you in grace and loves and encourages you and points you to the Lord who prays for you and and continues to encourage you. So you might be asking, so how do you live this out? How do you live a message as we talk about hope? How do we live this out? Well, there's a catechism. Now, for some of you, that may be a $5 word. For me, it is too. I have notes that define that, so I'm going to tell you what it is. A catechism. What is a catechism? Well, technically, you're used to catechisms because every Sunday morning we give you what? We give you a question, and we give you an answer. We give you scripture to back that up. We're teaching you what we believe as Christians. And so there's a catechism that I found that describes Advent beautifully. Listen to what it says. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in this long preparation for our Savior's first coming, the faithful, and I'll add hopeful, renew their ardent desire, their passionate, 
their enthusiastic desire for his second coming. By celebrating Christ's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire that he must increase and we must decrease. Did y'all hear that? He must increase, but we must decrease. It is not about our will. It is not about our preference. It is not about our desire. It should be about, as Colossians says, that Christ has preeminence in all things. That's the litmus test of the ministries and the classes and the studies that are being done. Is Christ preeminent? Is he first? Are we making much of Jesus? If we're not, then why are we doing it? He must increase and I must decrease. I want to share with you a portion of a prayer that I read recently. This Advent, Lord, come to the manger of my heart. Fill me with your presence from the very start. As I prepare for the holidays and gifts to be given, remind me of the gift you gave when you sent your Son from heaven. This first Christmas gift, it was the greatest gift ever. You came as a baby born in a manger wrapped like the gifts I find under my tree, waiting to be opened to reveal your love to me. Restore to me the wonder that came with Jesus' birth. This morning, I think we can simplify that prayer like this. Jesus Restore my wonder and help me to find my hope in you. Friends, there's hope. Hope came at Christmas time and his name is Jesus. Jesus came down so that hope would go out. So that we could experience hope, but so that others would experience hope as well. You might be like that song, you want to shake your fist at heaven and say, God, why don't you do something? I love those lyrics. It says, I did. I created you. He created you. And I pray this Christmas season as you prepare for Christmas Day and the coming of his birth and celebrating his birth, that you're reminded this morning that there is hope. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Thank you that hope came down at Christmas time. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die in our place. Father, we can't even begin to fathom how much you truly love us. And Father, I thank you that as we came this morning, Lord, I thank you for the prayers. I thank you for the decorations. I thank you for the, the blood, the sweat, the tears that were, that were poured out as we, as we prepared for today. Lord, that those people that are sitting here under the sound of my voice, that they were prayed for. Lord, that they may have an encounter with you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we have indeed had an encounter with you. That your spirit has spoken truth into our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray as I do every Sunday, Lord, that we would receive your word, but now that we would respond to it. Father, I don't know what you've done in this service, in these hearts, in these lives, but Father, I know that your word, I stand on the promises of your word, that your word does not return to you void, 
But, Father, it goes forth and it accomplishes your will. And so this morning, Father, as we've read your word, as we've studied your word, I stake and, and stand on that promise, Lord, that it has gone forth. And it is accomplishing what you want to accomplish in these hearts and lives. And so, Father, I pray that we would continue to seek you. We would continue to rest in the promises that you've given us. And as we prepare for this Christmas day, may we remember that hope is not found under a Christmas tree, but it's found in the presence of our Savior, Jesus. And Father, you're, you're, you're knocking at the hearts, and the doors, the hearts of these, your people. Father, my prayer is, will they let you in? Father, help us to rest in you. Help us to have our hope only in you. Father, help us to be hope dealers as we leave here today. May we go forth and and spread the hope that you have given us. For this world needs hope, and it needs you. Father, we thank you and we love you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.